I will uh, go ahead and pray for us. You guys can pray along with me. This has been an interesting week. Ten days ago, I had a fever, and seven days ago, I had no voice at all. Um, so thankfully, the Lord has given me back my voice over those seven days, but uh, anything could happen in the span of the next uh, 45 minutes. So pray along with me that the Lord preserves my voice. And uh, if not, you guys get out early, so that's great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for this morning um, that we get to look at your word. Um, We pray that you would bless our study of your word, Lord. Help us to uh, have open eyes to be able to understand it um, and interpret it properly. Uh, Please give us humble hearts that are willing to uh, accept what it teaches And Lord, we pray too that you would enable us to go home and apply what we learn. Uh, Help me not to get in the way of your word, um, but let it simply do its work through uh, the power that you provide. And we pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Everybody get a handout. Thank you for our volunteers who offered to pass those out. You guys can turn to the book of 2 John, and if you're having trouble finding it, uh, it's towards the back of the New Testament. If you made your way to Revelation, then you've gone just a little bit too far, turn back a page or two to the left, and you should find 2 John wedged there in between 1 John and 3 John. And while you guys are turning there, I want to tell you a quick little story about myself. At one point in my life, I turned to a friend of mine. Uh, I believe we were studying the Bible together at the time. We were at a coffee shop. And I said to him, would your life be different at all if 2 John didn't exist? And he said, "What what are you talking about? What do you mean? And I said, well, it's just such a small book. And I never hear anybody reference it, cross-reference it, uh, preach a sermon on it. Do you really think that your life would be different if somehow 2 John hadn't made it into the Bible? Because I don't think mine would. In fact, I don't think anybody's would. I don't think yours would. That's what I said to my friend at the time. I don't really remember his response. Um, But I can tell you one thing for sure, and that is that I was right in one extent. And that is, at the time, my life wouldn't have been different. And that's because I didn't understand 2 John. I didn't know what it was about. I had never studied it. And so... I didn't place any importance on it. I didn't realize how significant it actually was. So this morning, hopefully, um, you guys don't fall into the same uh, line of thinking that I did. I I hope that you all understand why God gave us this big little book of 2 John. And I pray that your lives would actually be different as a result. So um, we're going to read through the whole the whole book of Second John, which is only 13 verses long. Um, and then we're, we're just going to focus on verses 5 through 11 in today's message. So let's look at the first verse of Second John. The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, for the sake of the truth, which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace Mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we received commandment to do from the Father. And now I ask you, lady, not as writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, that you might not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching... He has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house 
and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I do not want to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that your joy may be made full. The children of your chosen sister greet you. And that's it. You just read a whole book of the Bible. All right, so uh, let's take a look at a little bit of background about 2 John before we dive in. First of all, as you may have gathered, 2 John is the shortest book in the Bible. Um, In the original Greek, it was only 245 Greek words. And it would have fit on a single um, sheet of papyrus, which is the the paper that they used uh, back in the time that, that John was writing this letter. Now, I just gave it away, but the author of the letter is John, the apostle. But you don't see that here in the letter, right? What does it say? Who wrote this? The elder. The elder. That's right. Now, a lot of people, smart people, have said, well, that could mean he was really old, or it could mean it's referring to the the status or the authority of John in the church at the time, like we talk about elders today, right? The elders are the leaders of our church. Um, but since, since we know that, that this has been always uh, no, known as John the Apostle, since the writing of the letter, ultimately both are true, right? Because he would have written this um, between 85 and 95 AD. You guys remember when Jesus' ministry and, and crucifixion was? Roughly? 35 AD? Yeah, maybe 30 to 35 AD. Yeah. So it would have been about 60 years from the time of Jesus' death to the writing of this letter of 2 John. So John would have been an old man by this time. Um, it's generally thought that, that the other apostles would have been dead. <clears throat> so he was old, but he was also um, authoritative, not only in, in his local church, and he was probably serving in the, the church at Ephesus at the time, um, but in the, the church at large, the church as a whole, because he's the last living apostle. So he was the main remaining eyewitness of Jesus Christ walking on earth. There were other people that would have seen him, um, but, but John was the last one that was uh, an apostle and that was with him during all of his ministry. Now, who is the letter written to? If it's from John the Apostle, known as the elder in this letter, who is the letter written to? The elect lady and her children. The elect lady and her children. Now, again, smart people think uh, two different things on this. Some people say this is representative of a, a particular local church because we know that often the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, and so it wouldn't be that weird to um, call a church a lady and, and maybe the, the, the members of the church, the lady's children. Um, but it makes a lot more sense if we look at this letter and it, also if we compare it to 3 John, which was written to a particular person named Gaius, um, if it was actually just what it says here, written to a specific lady who had specific children, and she would have gone to a specific local church. Either way... If it was written to a local church or if it was written to a lady, eventually the content was so important that it did make its way into circulation, right? We know that because we have it today. This letter would have gotten read by this lady and then probably taken to her local church and maybe people made copies and sent it home in the, uh, the weekly pamphlet. And then everybody started reading this letter and then making copies and sending it out to other churches that didn't get the letter and eventually it was widely known and, and widely circulated so that it became part of, uh, part of Scripture, part of our Bibles today. Um, so ultimately, we don't, have to, we don't have to die on a hill that it was a lady or that it was a local church because it still um, has the same application for us today. What do you guys think is the theme? Just if you glance at the first few verses, somebody other than Elias, what do you guys think is the theme of this book. Yeah, Hayden. Walking in truth and love. Very good, yeah. And 
And that particular word that, that Haven used there, truth, that's mentioned five times just in the first four verses. Let's look at it. Verse 1, John says, The elder to the chosen lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And then he says in the second half of that verse, Not only I, but also all who know the truth. So in other words, he loves this lady in the truth, and he and the lady and all who know the truth are united in truth. Uh, Third reference in verse 2, For the sake of the truth. Right? That's the, the reason that he's writing this letter, for the sake of the truth. Fourth one, look down in verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And then the last mention of truth in those four verses, and as a lead-in into the meat of the letter, John says in verse 4, he was glad to find the woman's children obeying a commandment from the father. He got a good report about these people, right? About the the lady's children, that they were obeying God's commandment. And what was that commandment? Look at it in verse four. Why is John happy? Yeah. Because they were walking in the truth. And so now John is going to flesh out what that means, flesh out that phrase throughout the rest of the letter. What does it mean? To walk in the truth. And he's going to contrast it um, with what the false teachers who run ahead and stray away from biblical truth do. And in order to do that, John is going to give us three commands for those who walk in the truth. And that should be on your handout. Um, I'll try to, uh, to make those clear as we go along. If, if it's not clear, just raise your hand, stop me, and ask me for those, uh, for those notes. So command number one that we see in verses 5 and 6, love one another. So verse 5, John says, And now I ask you, lady, not as writing to you a new commandment, but the one which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. In verse 5, John makes a firm request, right? That we love one another from the lady. And then... He says, not only for the lady, but all those who know the truth. Because he includes uh, himself in that, right? He says that we love one another. He, He isn't just saying that I make a request that you love one another, that you and your kids love one another, but that we love one another. And we have to go back up to uh, verse 1 to see who that we is. He says, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but all also all who know the truth. So John is talking about all who know the truth in that command to love one another. And it's, I say it's a firm request because look at it. He's not just saying, I ask you to love one another. But he says, this is a command. I ask you not as writing to you a new commandment, not something I just made up, or came up with, but the one which we have had from the beginning that we love one another. And that's a humble statement, a humble phrase by John to say we, right, I need to be included in that love one another because he's already made it clear that he is the elder, right? He is, for all intents and purposes, the church leader of the day. He is the, the last remaining eyewitness of, of all of Jesus' ministry. He was an apostle. And yet he's saying, I'm included in this too. This isn't a new command that I just made up because I heard that you weren't loving one another. This is a command that we've had from the beginning and it applies to all who know the truth, including me, an apostle who's super old. I still need to be reminded to love one another. <clears throat> and John gives his clarification that it's not a new command. It's not some newfangled thing I've come up with, but instead it's a command that is as old as the gospel itself and uh, a command that you have known and have had since the day you were saved. Jesus said it in John thirteen thirty four. You don't have to turn there. But Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. 
So John's reminding them that 60 years ago, Jesus gave this command to love one another. Let's, let's uh, look at another one. 1 John 2, 7. John the Apostle wrote this. And in 1 John 2, 7, he said, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. And then in the next couple of verses, he explains that he's talking about the command to love your brother. And then in the next chapter, 1 John 3, chapter 3, verse 11, John says, this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that what? That we should love one another. And then he writes in the next chapter, 1 John 4, 21, this is the commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. So John's saying, this is well known, the command to love. It's a foundation of Christianity. It didn't change in the 60 years since I walked with Jesus. And it still hasn't changed for us today, right? Nothing has changed. The command is still the same. And that is important for us to keep in mind as we're going to work through the rest of the letter. Remember, this is an old commandment. It's not a new thing that John made up. This is an old um, you can call it boring commandment. I don't mean boring in the content, but boring in that you've heard it before. It's not new. It's not um, this, this new fancy thing. So what's the result of walking in truth? Let's look at verse 6. John says, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. So after making this request, this command, to the lady that we love one another... And then clarifying that this isn't a new command, John defines what love looks like. What is the result or the sign of someone who loves? What is it? Look at verse 6. What's the sign of somebody who loves? That you walk according to his commandments. That you walk according to his commandments. Or how could you make that even smaller, put that into one word? Yeah. Walk in obedience. Yeah, she's got the word, just obedience. That's right. Um, The sign of somebody who who loves one another is somebody who obeys, right? Obedience. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. That's kind of strange when we come when we come to the scripture with a with an earthly lens, right? An earthly magnifying glass. We hold up society to, to this and we, we read the word love and we think, I know what movies say about love. I know what my friends at school say about love. This, is, this isn't how it's portrayed in movies and in conversations and in books because what we're used to in the world is defining love as an emotion or a feeling that waits around for sparks to fly and depends on the meal you ate or the way someone treated you. But no, John says love is obedience to God that depends on the meal you ate, the way someone treated you. No, it depends on the word of God, which has always been and will always be the same. So once again... He's reminding the lady that this is not an, a new commandment. This is a commandment you've heard from the beginning. There will be deceivers that come along. We'll, we'll find that out in the rest of the chap, chapter. There will be deceivers that come along trying to be hip and new with teaching that strays from the truth. But John preaches what has always been orthodox Christianity. What has always been true. What has always been the biblical teaching and that is to love one another and to walk in obedience. And note here that obedience is a natural result of love, which is characteristic of a believer. In other words, if you don't obey God's commands, then you don't what? Then you don't love. And if you don't love, then you're not a believer. Believers love, and believers obey God's commands. Jesus said in Matthew 22 that all the law and the prophets, in other words, all of Scripture, the whole Bible, 
depend on the two commands to love. Love God and love your neighbor. The whole Bible, he says, rests on that. Jesus said in John 14, 21, He who has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. In other words, love and obedience are inseparable. You don't have one without the other. You don't love and then go and not obey God's commandments. And you can't obey God's commandments with a true heart without first having love. <clears throat> true biblical love. So let's bring it back to John, Second uh, John, verses 5 and 6. Stated a different way, John says, keep the command to love, and in order to love, you need to keep God's commands. So it's kind of a circular argument. But he's showing that you, you don't have one without the other. Christians obey the command to love, and they love by obeying. So a quick recap of point number one. John gives a command that we love one another. He clarifies that it's an old command. It's not new. And then he shows us that the result of true biblical love is true biblical obedience. Now let's take a look at the second command, verses 7 through 9, which is watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Point two on your outline. Verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. So John sets up here the reason for his second request. He hasn't made it quite yet, but he's setting up the reason for the, for the second command by explaining that deceivers, false teachers, or even what he describes here as antichrists, have gone out into the world. What is the characteristic of these false teachers? What, what heresy are they teaching in verse 7? Yeah, Nicholas. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. That's right. Uh, turn quickly back to just one page or so to, to 1 John 4, verses 2 and 3. Well, well, we'll start at verse 1. So, same author, right? John is writing, John the Apostle, and he says, Beloved, in verse 1 of, of 1 John 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, and by that he means teachers, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then look at this. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. Turn back to Second John. This was a serious issue, obviously, worth writing about in multiple letters to the early church. And in order to, to kind of understand, because you guys might not immediately think that that's a big problem, but in, at the time of John's writing, the, the two big heresies um, that were uh, afflicting the, the, the church at the time were Gnosticism and Docetism. If you want to write those down, Gnosticism is G-N-O-S-T-I-C-I-S-M, and Docetism or Docetism, D-O-C-E-T-I-S-M. And both... People who believed in, in Gnosticism and Docetism believed that Christ, the Messiah, descended from heaven to occupy the body of Jesus when Jesus was baptized and then did some miracles for a few years and then ascended back into heaven right before the crucifixion. <clears throat> they didn't believe that the divine, divine Son of God was actually a man, but just sort of occupied a human body for a few years to make it look like he was. Why is that a problem? It goes against a bunch of Old Testament prophecies. Okay. It goes against a bunch of Old Testament prophecies. What else? If you're just a man who was crucified, he would have been able to bear all of our sins. Right. If he was... Right. If, if we don't fully understand the, the humanity and the, and the deity of, of Christ, then that messes with 
the atonement that he made, right? The, the sacrifice that he made. Um, think back to, to what we learned at camp, right? That, well, do you guys remember the, the three points of the gospel that, that Pastor Scott made us remember every session? Anybody? Yeah. He died, was buried, and then was raised on the third day. Yeah. Um, if, if this divine Messiah just came down and occupied a, a body that he wasn't really, and he wasn't really a man, then he wasn't really born, he didn't really die, he wasn't really buried, he wasn't really raised from the dead on the third day. Right? That, it, that stands in direct opposition to the gospel that we had uh, a reminder of in, in every session um, up at camp and, and that we see in First Thessalonians. And this is why, remember, we talked about how John is, is the apostle that saw Jesus walk. He saw Jesus' ministry. That's why John's age and his witness were important when he called himself the elder. He's saying, look, I'm, I, I've been around. I'm old. And, and I watched Jesus. I can testify to the humanity of Jesus Christ. If anybody knows for a 100% fact that Jesus was fully man and fully God, John says, it's me. I spent years with him in ministry. I watched him. I know. So John says the idea that Christ didn't come in the flesh is deceit. The teachers of this and of any other deviation from the true gospel are deceivers, false teachers, antichrists. This is so serious because it challenges the heart of the gospel and who Jesus is. So then, after setting that up, setting up the problem, the reason for his second command, John gives his second command in the beginning of verse 8, which is, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves, he says, that you might not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. So that four, you guys might have a four or a because at the beginning of verse seven, for many deceivers have, have gone out. That's not referring back to verse six, but it's looking forward towards verse eight. It's like us saying, because Roy has the triple Bs, he won the strength competition at camp, right? We start with the because, and then we move into uh, the, the explanation for it. So that's what John's doing here. Because there are false, false teachers denying the humanity of Christ, so then... Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Be careful. Be alert. And most importantly, expect these false teachers to come. He said that in 1 John. He said it again in 2 John. They've gone out into the world. Everywhere where the gospel has been preached, you will find false teachers preaching their false gospel. Expect it. Don't be caught off guard by it. Don't be surprised by it. Watch yourselves. Note that he doesn't say... Because these false teachers have gone out into the world, be prepared to debate them. No, he doesn't want you to give them the opportunity to present their argument. It's a false gospel. Why would you let them speak? Instead, his command is to watch yourselves, right? Shore up your own souls and stand firm in the truth. Be alert. Watch yourselves. Know that the false teaching is coming. Let's look at the first result of uh, this command, watch yourselves. Look at the second half of verse 8. That you might not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. So John says, if you watch yourselves and you stay on guard against false teaching, you're, you're not going to lose what we've accomplished, what we've worked for. And he says, we as the inclusive, again, those who know the truth. Both you and us, your, your leaders, your teachers, your disciples, those who led you to the Lord, we won't lose what we have accomplished or worked for, and you will receive a full reward. In other words, your salvation, your justification, your sanctification, all your growth and your good works will be proven fruitful and true if you watch yourself, if you are alert. You'll bring joy to the people who led you to the Lord and who discipled you. And most importantly, you'll please God and you'll receive the full reward of being with him in eternity. John wanted to see the truth 
advancing in this lady and in her children and in her local church. He didn't want to see them opening themselves up to error and false teaching. He wanted them to experience the result of obeying the command to watch and be alert and be spiritually vigilant, to persevere and receive a reward. But there's another result described in verse 9. Let's look at verse 9. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. So John describes what it looks like to not be watchful in verse 9. He calls it going too far. This can be also translated going on ahead or running on ahead. I want you to... Do any of you guys have dogs? Okay, uh, roughly a third of you. And I'm sure the rest of you have heard of, of dogs before. Um, you guys, th- those of you who have dogs, you ever t- take your dogs on a hike? No. No, why not? A great thing, okay. What's that? You just got a dog. So maybe you'll have an opportunity to take your dog on a hike in the future. Follow all the rules, right? Don't take your dogs on trails that they're not allowed. And if they do what dogs do, make sure you clean it up. <clears throat> but I want you to picture two dogs, okay? You're, you're taking these dogs on a hike. And one of the dogs loves to obey the command to heal, right? He just walks right by your side. You don't even feel the tug of the leash because he just wants to be right there next to you. The other dog loves to go exploring, right? Runs up ahead, runs up the trail, sniffs, sniffs something, sniffs something else, looking around, digging holes, maybe runs back to you, maybe runs behind you, and then just blazes forward again. Which one is going to get bit by a rattlesnake? The one that's running up and down, right? The one that, that wants to see what's up ahead and then what's behind and what's all around. And he's sticking his nose in places that he shouldn't be, right? He's, he's pre- if he didn't get poked by a jumping choya and he's got a big ball hanging off of his snout, then he's going to get bit by a rattlesnake or something else could happen. Maybe he'll fall off a cliff. Yeah, a one-foot cliff, small cliff. He, he rolls down. But... But this is serious. This is, this is the point. This is what John's talking about here when he says running ahead, right? Because oftentimes we can think of running as being a good thing. It's, it's exercise. It's, it's uh, you know, we'll, we'll feel healthier. But that's not the type of running that John's talking about here. He goes on to explain the running on ahead, the going on ahead that he's talking about is not abiding in the teaching of Christ. And that's the result of running ahead and not abiding in the teaching of Christ. What is it? Look at uh, the middle of verse 9. What's, what's that result? If I go too far ahead and I don't abide in the teaching of Christ, then what? Then I don't have God. That's the result of running on ahead. What's the result of abiding in the teaching of Christ? Look at the the second half of verse 9. Yeah, Ryan. He has both the Father and the Son. Right? Just a restatement that, that you have God. You have the Father and the Son. In other words, those who cling to the teaching of Christ will experience fellowship with God. But those who cling to anything other than the true gospel will have no fellowship and prove, in the end, not to be believers at all. So this idea of running ahead is in stark contrast to the way that John described the lady's children in verse 4. Do you guys remember? How did he describe the lady's children in verse 4? Yeah, Nicholas. Walking in truth, right? They were abiding. They were that, that dog that just loved to stay by your side and heal. Now let's take a step back. Students, please pay attention to what I'm about to say. If you... We're sleeping the rest of the time and you're going to fall asleep after that. <clears throat> Wake up for this because it's important. Students, new doctrines are exciting and enticing. But when examined, when you take a look at them under a biblical microscope, you'll see that they always prove to depart from God's word, right? 
There's no room in scripture for new sensational doctrine and teaching. What was true 2,000 years ago is true today and will be true in another 2,000 years. Remember how we talked about the command to love being an old command and not a new one? That's why John stressed that so much in his writing, both in, in the Gospel of John and then in 1 John, and now he's doing it in 2 John because false teachers were bringing in new teaching. And John needed to warn the church that you don't need new doctrines. In fact, they're poison, these new doctrines that you're hearing from false teachers. All you need is the old teaching, the old commandments, and the old gospel that you have always heard. Why? Because it lasts. Because it is true. It's the only thing that's true. And students, you, your students in school, right? But you need to be students of God's word. You need to check every teacher, every book, every sermon, every devotional that comes in your ear holes and hold them up to scripture to see if it holds, if it proves true. That includes me, right? And Pastor Roy and Pastor Scott and your parents. Everything you hear, every piece of teaching you take in, you need to compare to scripture to see if it holds true. And if it doesn't, then what? It's false teaching. If, if it doesn't line up with what you read in scripture, then it's false teaching and you throw it in the trash. You shouldn't have anything to do with it. Don't run ahead and get excited by these new and exciting doctrines that you've never heard before. That somebody comes along and starts teaching you because they're not biblical. Instead, we need to walk in the truth and abide in the teaching of Christ. Right? Be like that dog who loves the leash. He's tethered into the word of God. Not the dog who loves to go searching for something new and exciting. So, number one, love one another. Number two, John says, watch yourselves. And now John gives his third and final command in verse 10. Let's look at it. Verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. We can summarize this third command to be reject false teaching. John says, if anyone comes to you without the teaching of Christ, number one, don't receive him into your home. Number two, don't even give him a greeting. Now, John doesn't mean that if your cousin comes over and he happens to not be preaching Christ while he knocks on your door, that you shouldn't let him in. Right? He's, he's not saying that when he says anyone who doesn't bring this teaching. He doesn't even mean you shouldn't host unbelievers in your house. In this context, John is specifically talking about false teachers claiming to have Christian fellowship with you. And he says that a teacher preaching a false gospel about a false Christ, that's the man you shouldn't bring into your house. Don't help him spread his lies. Don't wish him well. Don't rejoice with him. Don't welcome him into your Christian fellowship. Now, you guys might think that the, the first thing that popped into my head was uh, Mormons, right? You might, you might think about a pair of Mormons that comes to your door and they ask to come in so they can tell you what, what they believe. And you tell them you're a Christian and they say, oh, that's great. We are too. Can we talk about it? If they're willing to listen to you preach the true gospel, <laughs> let them in. This is referring, John's third command is referring to those who are preaching a false gospel and are unwilling to learn or listen to the true gospel. They're only intent on spreading their lies. And John says, we are to shun that person. Right? Don't let them in. Don't even give them a greeting. That sounds like a pretty harsh command, right? I don't know. It sounded like a harsh command to me. But the harsh command is warranted due to the danger that false teaching can have in the church. Think about the consequences of not walking in the truth and not shunning false teaching for you personally and for the people around you, right? Your family, your friends. <clears throat> Once you get a little bit older and you have a, a family of your own, think about the, the kids um, that, that you'll have, Lord willing. 
If you don't shun false teaching, you open yourself up to lies that oppose the teaching of Scripture. You aid in the tearing down of the truth of Scripture, and you risk proving that you are, in fact, not a believer, and you don't have fellowship with God. And you say, you respond by saying, wait, Mike, I thought we were supposed to love people. And I say, absolutely, you're exactly right. We're supposed to obey the command that John gave us back in verse 5, right? That we love one another. So does that conflict with this statement to not welcome in and, and not greet false teachers? Well, first we need to understand what biblical love looks like, right? We've already talked about it's not an emotion, it's not a feeling, and it's not trying to be everybody's friend. There are times when Christian love looks a lot more like hate to the world than like love. Because if we're going to love God and love his word and love his church, then we have to cling to truth and shun false teaching. Get that heresy out of here, right? I would be an unloving father if I knowingly allowed my children to be taught by a false teacher and hear a false gospel. The most loving thing I could do, most loving thing possible that I could do as a father is to expose them to the truth, the true gospel, and keep them away from error. And you say, wait, isn't that brainwashing your kids, not allowing them to have independent thought? And I say, absolutely, definitely. As a Christian father, that is my job. If my kids can be exposed to the gospel and not be exposed to false teaching by the time they're out of my house, then I've done my job as a father. Then I have obeyed John's three commands in this letter to love one another, to watch myself, watch out for false teaching, and to reject false teaching. What's the result of this third command? It's given in the negative sense. Look at verse 11. What is the result of greeting, welcoming, or being hospitable to a false teacher? Yeah, right. Participate in his evil deeds. John says, the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. And literally, that's the one who says, welcome. The one who says, welcome to him participates in his evil deeds. Yikes. Again, harsh. John says, if you welcome these people, if you help them spread their lies, if you give them an ear and invite them into your home or invite them into your church for the purpose of hearing their teaching, then you are participating in their evil deeds. Now, how many of you guys are on an organized sports team or have been in the past? Okay. A little more than the, the number that has dogs. And you guys do conditioning, like run lines or do burpees or something like that? What happens if somebody runs the play wrong or mouths off to the coach or does something wrong? What happens? Yeah. You do more conditioning, right? You got to run. I remember uh, in my, one of my football teams growing up, there was a tree that was really, really, really far away. Like you had to pass by two other teams that were practicing on the way to this tree. And if we ran something wrong or, or if we weren't listening to the coach... Even if just one person was doing it, what happens? The entire, the entire team has to run, right? Go run around that tree and come back. Or if it was really bad, go run around that tree, come back, and then do it three more times. Right? I don't, maybe that's different now, but that's how my teams were growing up. What's the point? You're guilty by association, right? Even if you didn't do the wrong thing yourself... You were there, you were standing next to the guy that did or the girl that did, and you didn't stop it, so you still had to run. That's what John's saying here. Even if you weren't the one teaching the heresy, if you helped the false teacher in spreading his lies, then you are guilty of the same crime. You participated in his evil deeds. This is a tight, narrow, harsh command, right? But it's harsh for a reason. And it's the opposite of everything the world says about in, uh, about tolerance today, right? But that's how important upholding the truth is. The world, their idea of tolerance is unbiblical. 
We need to know and uphold the truth and have fellowship with those who cling to the true gospel and not those who preach a false gospel, right? We are heresy intolerant. We don't let that come into our family or into our church. John finishes out his letter by saying he has a lot of other things to say to this lady and her children, but he prefers to do it face-to-face instead of in a letter. He probably only had that one sheet of papyrus that he wanted to, to send in a letter, and he said... I'm running out of room. I have other things I want to say, but I'd, I'd rather just save them until we're face to face. And that, that stresses to us the importance of what John did put in this letter, right? He only had so much room, and what he put down on the page was what was urgent, what couldn't wait until they were face to face. Those three commands, to love one another, to watch yourselves, and to reject false teaching. All right, so how can we apply what we looked at in 2 John today? You can turn your hand out over, and there are three points of application. Number one, Christians must obey God's command to love and love to obey God's commands. Let's pick that apart. Christians must obey God's command to love, just that first part. We must obey God's command to love, meaning we don't, Just love when we feel like it, right? And when we woke up on the right side of the bed and the person in question in front of us is particularly lovable at that point in time. No, we love at all times because we've been commanded to love. And that command to love will never change. So the the rule is always the same, right? The command is always the same, to love one another. Look at the second half. We must love to obey God's commands. That means that we don't just obey outwardly so that people see us, but we have an obedience of the heart that really and truly loves to obey God's commands, which sounds really weird to an unbeliever. Why would you love to obey rules, especially strict, harsh, intolerant rules? You guys know who Spurgeon is? Right? Old old preacher, Um, said a lot of really good things. And and he, talking about this verse, he said, I must obey because I love or else I have not in spirit and in truth obeyed at all. In other words, if my obedience wasn't rooted in love, true biblical love, then it was just checking the boxes for my own motives, right? It was to glorify and please me and not God. If my parents tell me to take out the trash and I take out the trash, But while I'm taking out the trash, I'm grumbling in my mind and thinking about how much I hate taking out the trash and how we don't have the side yard paved, so I have to pull it over the gravel, and that's really annoying, and it doesn't roll well, and it's a stupid rule anyway, and I don't even get an allowance for doing it. Am I really obeying? I see some heads shaking. No, the answer is no. Even though I did what they told me to do, that wasn't true obedience because... I didn't have obedience of the heart. True obedience is motivated by the heart that loves to obey my parents because I love to obey God and I know God has given me these parents for his glory and for my good. And so I love to follow their rules. And sometimes their rules can be strict and harsh and intolerant and annoying and um, something that doesn't mesh with what I'm doing at the time. But that's true obedience. Second, Christians who know the truth don't need to hear something new. And new is spelled wrong there. It it should be N-E-W, new. They don't need to hear something new, but only to be reminded of what they've already heard. Remember, students, don't let yourselves become infatuated with newfangled doctrine New teachings that you hear maybe when you go off to college or from your friends or if you ever uh, end up in a a different place. Don't don't be infatuated with those things that don't agree with Scripture. If you hear something that sounds like it conflicts with Scripture, then don't just ignore it and allow it to penetrate your mind and your thinking and your worldview. Look it up. Compare it to Scripture. Open up your Bible and compare that teaching to what you read in your Bible and if it's not the true gospel, if it's not true biblical teaching, throw it in the trash. Get rid of it. 
And remember, the old gospel that you heard when you got saved is the same gospel that will always save. No amount of time or fancy footwork with the grammar or smart people will ever change that. They'll never be able to change the old gospel that saves. Walk in the truth that you've heard from the beginning. Don't run ahead. Don't get caught up by some other sensational, exciting teaching. Number three, Christians must be on guard against error and its teachers. Let me give you five facts about false teachers. You can write them down if you want. Number one, false teachers will come. Right? So expect them. Don't be caught off guard. Number two, false teachers will be well-educated and profound. Right? They're going to sound eloquent in the way that they speak. Otherwise, they would never be able to convince anybody. But oftentimes, they are well-educated and profound. Number three, false teachers will be persuasive. They will be persuasive. Number four, false teachers won't have a big sign on their forehead that says, false teacher. They won't have the hello, I'm name tag that says, hello, I'm an antichrist. Right? They're going to look like a regular old Joe. And number five, false teachers will appear to be your friend. They will suggest that you both believe the same thing. And then that's how they will get an opportunity to spread their lies. False teachers will appear to be your friend. Students, be on guard against false teachers. But don't be afraid. You have your copy of God's word, right? You have your Bible in front of you. If you read scripture and if you know scripture you'll recognize false teaching. It'll stick out like a sore thumb. But if you're not continually meditating on the truth of God's word, you're not reading your Bible, then you're going to be susceptible to error. Nothing will prepare you better for false teaching than reading your Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your word that instructs us and corrects us and convicts us and encourages us. And we pray that that would be done today as we read through and studied the book of 2 John. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to obey these commands that were prescribed in 2 John. We pray that you would enable us to love one another, to watch ourselves and to reject false teaching, even if it feels hard or difficult or harsh. We pray that we would not simply be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word. And that as we go home today and we meditate on your word throughout the week, that we would put these things into action, that we would truly love from an obedient heart and that we would love to obey your commandments, that we would be on guard for true teaching and against false teaching. And that we would reject the teachers of heresy. Lord, help us to be prepared for those things and help us to be continually in your word so that we can do that. We pray that we would glorify you, and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.